0: Corporal Jake Corneliano, U.S. Army intelligence, was sound asleep and dreaming of Mozart when he first heard a knocking on the door of his quarters. Not just any Mozart, but the marriage of Figaro. Yes, Figaro, with the count pounding on his wife's bedroom door while her suspected lover scurried off to hide in her closet. What had started as gentle taps grew ever louder until Jake awoke enough to realize the door banging was not from any opera. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network, and today I'm talking to Howard J. Smith about his novel, Meeting Mozart. The novel opens at an Air Force base in Italy, 1946, a year after the end of World War II, and Jake Conagliano, now working in intelligence, has four days off to attend an opera in another city. He's delighted, but the local priest wants him to sing in the choir at church that morning. He won't take no for an answer and even threatens eternal damnation until Jake admits that he's Jewish. Then the priest bans him. Nonsensical and dangerous hatred of Jews across the century is a common theme in this novel. And in the very next chapter, we meet soon-to-be-disgraced priest Lorenzo de Ponte, who was born Emmanuel Corneliano in 1749 and who was the librettist for 28 operas including three of Mozart's. De Ponte meets a young Mozart and as the years pass the two participate in dissolute masked frivolities with other people's wives, sneak around political intrigues, and create some of the best-loved operas of all times. Jake Corneliano learns about his famous ancestor and other family connections across the centuries, continuing with his own son and grandson. Each generation must determine what kind of person, what kind of Jew, they wish to be. Hi, Howard. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Uh, Thank you, Galit, for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you today.
0: So when did you fall in Mozart, and how did you decide to focus on his three best-loved operas instead of the entire rest of his body of work?
1: Well, with Mozart, my real challenge was how to find a way that's accessible. And those three operas, as written by de Ponte, and I should say de Ponte is really the main character of this novel. It is de Ponte who meets Mozart uh, throughout the course of this novel. Um, But to me, those were the three of the most beautiful, most accomplished operas that Mozart had ever written and the fact that their collaboration was so successful and that those are the three operas we consistently hear today uh, was more than enough incentive to work on those and focus on those three.
0: How did you come to write a novel about music, performing, opera, Mozart?
1: Well, the obvious first part is that I love music, I love opera uh, and have since I was a child. The catch 22 about all this for me personally is that um, and I did not know this till I was in my 20s. I'm dyslexic and they did not know what dyslexia was. And in fact, the specific name of dyslexia is not exactly my issue. My issue is the fact I could certainly read very well, but I could not process certain things. So, for example, for me to repeat five notes in a row, virtually impossible I could score 99 on achievement tests, but to put five notes in a row and remember them for more than a minute or two is literally impossible.
0: Our first meeting with Lorenzo de Ponte in your novel, it's 1771, and it's so filled with intrigue, tension, and shocking promiscuity. I wondered where you came up with the idea of writing it.
1: Well, from Mozart and de Ponte themselves, the... the, answer to the second part of that. Their lives were ribald, um, crazy, erotic, full of lovers um, for both of them. But more importantly, I wanted to produce the stories in each of the three sections of the book, Venice, Vienna, and Prague, that mirrored as much as possible the very structure of a Mozart opera. And if you notice, all three of the Ponte operas all take place in one day within 24 hours. So the events that happened to de Ponte when he arrives in Venice, which takes him from being a novice uh, priest and converso at that, uh, to being suspected of murder and reuniting with a lover who he's not seen in years, was to try to get at that same thing of doing this within that compressed time frame that the operas do.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You said the word converso. Could you you take a minute to describe, explain what that is?
1: Okay. Uh, Converso is a Jew, usually during the Middle Ages, Renaissance era, who converted to usually Catholicism. And usually it was done either forced um, under political pressure, or it was done to basically find a better life, uh, without the discrimination that occurred against Jews during those eras. Um, and in De Ponti's case, very quickly, he was born in an Italian village hit to a Jewish family. His name was Emanuele Conliano. And at age 14, a year after he been bar mitzvah, his father wanted to remarry. His mother had died. And in order to do that, the church authorities, if he wanted to marry a Catholic girl, they had to convert the whole family. And uh, Emanuele became Lorenzo de Ponti, taking the name of the bishop who did the conversion, and thus he beca- he went from being a Jew to a Catholic in a seminary. And a few years later, he ended up following the end route route of that training and became a priest, though very unwittingly and unwillingly. And he made for a horrible priest.
0: <laughs> right. The novel goes back and forth between the story of Lorenzo de Ponte and Jake Corneliano. The novel opens with an army intelligence officer working in Italy after the war, getting leave to go to see the marriage of Figaro. Will you please introduce Jake and explain what's going on with him?
1: Yeah, Jake is an Italian-American and Jewish. He is the son of first-generation immigrants He was obviously drafted into World War II as a soldier. He had been a college student. I should say, actually, he volunteered. He was a college student. He was working in math and science. He became an intelligence officer. Um, And when the novel opens, he's been reassigned to the British airbase at Aviano uh, in northern Italy, which is really somewhere within an hour or so, he believes, of the village where his family came from. He, however, could never find the name of that village on a map because after World War II, after his parents had left, the name had been changed. It was the site of a major battle in World War I. uh, And after the victory there, the Italians changed the name of the village to victory, basically, Vittoria, is the name of the village now. So he couldn't find it. And the trip begins with him wa- finding his way there by accident um, and meeting a young woman that will change his life, as well as being handed the secret diaries of his long, uh, long ago ancestor, Lorenzo de Ponte, who was also, mm-hmm. as we said earlier, a Condiano.
0: Family is really important in the novel from a number of levels. And Jake has a genetic anomaly that immediately identifies him as part of a specific family. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yes. So this is actually inspired by an incident in The Marriage of Figaro itself, where Figaro's true identity as the son of a royal family is figured out by a birthmark on his arm. And in trying to figure out what could identify Jake and his ancestors six, seven generations earlier, I came up with a physical anomaly where the pinky on the left hand is short and the pinky on the right hand is long. And every male member of the family has this little genetic anomaly. So anyone who has it, you know their family.
0: Yeah, I really love that. Jake meets the lovable Rabbi Jeremiah, one of only two Jews who survived the war in that town. Can you talk about what happened and how the two survived the war?
1: Uh, yes. In, in real life, first, you have to know that when the Germans took control of Italy at the end of uh, 1943, they continued to round up Jews in Italy as they had in the rest of Europe, and sent most of them off to the death camps at Auschwitz and Treblinka, at uh, Dachau and elsewhere. And in the novel, I postulate that Dolcetta, who is our female heroine in the novel, um, and also a distant relative of the original Duponti, um, she and her great uncle happened to be away in the mountains delivering supplies to a monastery up in the mountains in a very remote area. And one of the things you have to know in that region, regardless of religion, everybody is related to everybody. They've all been living in these same areas for 500 years or more. Um, and so the monk they happened to be helping out at the monastery was, in fact, a distant cousin on the Catholic side of the family, on the, called the Ponti side of the family, versus the Conleana.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you plan for readers to connect the hidden life of intelligence officers, which Jake is, and the hidden lives of conversos?
1: Uh, Yes. I mean, because DuPonti lived his whole life basically in secret. Uh, And so I wanted to have the modern day characters also echo that kind of existence where their true identities, for one reason or another, were never totally known. Jake, in the beginning, passes through the army. Everyone thinks he's Italian. No one realizes he's Jewish, including a hostile priest who used to invite him to sing in the choir because he had a great voice. Um, And only when he realizes he's a Jew does he revert to his native anti-Semitism and refuse to have him uh, sing in the choir any longer in Italy.
0: Yeah. Jake and his officer friend, Enrico Fox, meet the loves of their life on the same day, and they both end up doing intelligence work that involves hunting Nazis who were escaping to South America. Can you say more about what was going on there?
1: Well, unbeknownst to a lot of people, when the war ended, there were a lot of people sympathetic to the Nazi cause... Um, who helped facilitate the escape of many uh, Nazi officers. Um, and th- this escape route was nicknamed the Ratline Line, R-A-T-L-I-N-E. And it was the facility and agency and people who managed to smuggle many of these Nazis under false identities to South America, particularly Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, uh, and those countries that were still sympathetic to the Nazi cause. And many of the church figures uh, were heavily involved in that, um, particularly the German Austrian priests um, who helped, who did work in that area.
0: Um, religion plays a big role, not just uh, for the characters in your novel, but in society across the centuries, and you describe it. Rabbi Cheremiah uh, sums it up from the vantage point of being one of the only two Jews to survive World War II. Is he voicing your own opinion?
1: Uh, No, actually, it was pretty much what happened uh, in the war. Um, Most Jews in that era lived in a very hostile environment. my own family, which did not come from Italy, although maybe 600 years ago they did, based on my genetics. um, But they were all massacred, save for one who escaped, uh, much like in the novel.
0: Uh, Did you use some of your own family history when you were...
1: It certainly was an influence in writing the book, yes.
0: In addition to going backward in time, the novel also, your novel propels us forward. To Manny, short for another Emmanuel, and his girlfriend, who later becomes his wife, Pandoria. Can you introduce them?
1: Yes, what I wanted to do in the novel overall is to sort of create a family saga, so that in terms of uh, chronology, not the sequence in the book, you would meet uh, de Ponte and his girlfriend, and then you would meet their descendants and their family uh, beginning in the 20th century and right up until where we end the novel in 2006, uh, which incidentally is the 250th birthday of Mozart. So yes, we, I, we start. Yes, I do remember with,
0: celebrating.
1: <laughs> yes, and we, so we start with uh, De Ponte and his girlfriend, bring it down to their descendants, which happens to be Dolcetta and a twin sister, twin sister, Daniele. And then eventually we get to their grandchildren who essentially complete the novel.
0: Can you say something about the stunning artwork work that begins each chapter?
1: Yes. I'd be honored to. My son is an artist whose museum, whose artwork hangs in nine museums around the world. Um, And he's in his mid forties now. And by twisting his arm, I said, of course, you're going to do the artwork for me. And he said, of course, dad. So he did uh, a dozen drawings plus the cover for me. um, Artwork, which I could have never paid for out there in the real world. So it's a great thrill to have him do that work.
0: It's absolutely gorgeous. Wow. I'm just kind of blown away. I had no idea. (laughs) Um, Meeting Mozart came out in 2020, and now it's 2022. So what have you been working on since then? And is there another novel in your future?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Since I mean, there's two things. One, in this day and age, writers are still responsible for doing the marketing or participating heavily in the marketing of their books. So I've been heavily involved in that. uh, And I've published, I think, four or five articles related to this novel, the latest in American Heritage Magazine uh, just this past month on DuPonti in New York. And DuPonti is, in fact, the man who in real life brought opera to America. He was also close friends with Clement Moore, who wrote The Night Before Christmas. He taught at Columbia University. Uh, He knew a host of the early literary figures of New York. Uh, They were his friends and they looked up to him. But... Going forward, I'm actually working on a novel about Giuseppe Verdi and his operas and his lover uh, and his wife, Giuseppina Sottoponi, heading off to Italy this fall to do that research and um, hope to have that done sometime in the future. I don't have a specific date. Um, I don't race to get these done. I do them as take as long as it needs to get them done right.
0: Do you think your son would be willing to do more photo, more uh, drawings?
1: I I have to speak a tiny bit louder. Do you
0: think your son, you think you could could get your son to do more drawings? I'm hopeful. He actually
1: did a number more for me after the novel was completed. He also did some of the artwork for my prior novel, Beethoven in Love, Opus 139. Uh, did some work for some of the articles. So yeah, I just lean on him when I can. Um, And when he has time, he's happy to, to do these things for me and help out. So it's a real pleasure to have that.
0: You know what? I loved reading this. It's just was so up my alley. (laughs) So many things that I love. So thank you. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, Howard J. Smith.
1: Thank you, Talit. It's been a pleasure doing the interview. I hope we, uh, get a good audience for this. And again, I thank you very much for the time you spent.
0: And again, thank you for joining me. This is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Howard J. Smith, author of Meeting Mozart. May your free time be filled with wonderful literature. Happy reading, everyone.